answer, you might give the zoo a call right now at two. It's 5.30 in the morning and Mike Reiner is already at work. My, my, my. What have we here? Why, it looks like a podcast. It looks like another episode of Square One. Yes, episode six coming down today for your edification. I would be your congenital host, Mike Reiner. And today on Square One, because this is The Athletic, because The Athletic is first and foremost quite, quite incredibly, delightfully, deliciously, Sportsy. We are going to fall in line accordingly today. Baseball season is over. This is the first day. This, September 29, is the first day of this bizarro edition of the Major League Playoffs. They start today. That means that the Rangers season is over. And it is time for us to wrap it up. To help us to that end today, two of my favorite guys, favorite guys, period, favorite baseball guys, favorite Ranger guys, who both ply their craft at The Athletic, Levi Weaver, the man on the beat for The Athletic with us here. Hi. Hey. I I learned a uh, a, a new meaning of the word beat this year. I'll bet you did. <laughs> it has several, doesn't I'm the, it? I'm the beat-down writer. <laughs> and then the venerable Jamie Newberg. What's happening? How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, I miss baseball and I miss hockey this morning. Um, but I'm looking forward to watch, or uh, reading Levi cover a different team for at least a week, hopefully a few week, few week run. Yeah, what's happening there? Uh, well, we, we we don't have a full-time Marlins guy right now, and the Marlins somehow cobbled together a postseason team out of spare parts and a few bones they found down at the local beach, and uh, so we need somebody to write about them. So I'm going to see what's going on with Don Mattingly and his crew. Can you actually name five Marlins <laughs> players? Because <laughs> uh, I can't. Good question. I don't know if I, I can. can. Uh, yeah, so uh, Jose Urania, he's out, so I know that much. Um, let's see. They got Trevor Rogers. He's a middle reliever. Uh, let's see. Dan Ugla is probably still a Marlin. Orestes <laughs> uh, Destrade. Um Jeff yeah. Conine. Jeff Conine, yeah. Pudge Rodriguez. There we go. Of course. Nailed it. Don't, and don't forget the great Jorge Alfaro, as long as we're talking about Pudge. Yeah, he's Lewis, the next hey, Pudge. Right. Lewis Brinson's out there now, so get a couple former Rangers doing their thing. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll see what happens with them, but what I'm more interested in, what I think everybody's more interested in, is what happened, what is going to happen with the Rangers, because I got to tell you, boys, you're going to have to pull me out today. Because, well, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at an all-time low with this thing. I'm almost to the point of a place that I never thought I would be with, and that's reaching the a stage of indifference. Mm. 
I mean, I'm really, really bummed and really, really distraught. And the main thing that is bothering me is I don't know if anybody out there seems to care. I mean, the vibe I get is that ownership doesn't care. And if they don't care, then don't things like that trickle down in your minds? I mean, help me, brothers. All right. I could be the opposite mist here. Um, I don't think you're... It's hard to say with ownership because they don't talk to us that much. There are some owners in sports, uh, as, as we here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area know, that are quite, uh, f- quite frequently uh, in talks with the media. Yeah. Right? Jerry Jones. Of course. Ray Davis is not that guy. Ray Davis is like a secretive old ghost who lives in a billion-dollar attic. So yeah. we don't really get to talk to him that much. Neil Liebman is personable enough but really doesn't talk a whole lot about business so what we get is what john blake tells us and then we're left to interpret the rest of it through the actions of john daniels uh, I, I do think as far as people that care like i think john daniels genuinely cares well yeah i think he does too uh chris woodward i think genuinely cares yes the players Same. the players care I, I think really probably what the the point of your of your uh statement about indifference i i, I think ownership there's a good reason to believe that their interest is money and money alone. And maybe that's unfair, but maybe if maybe if that's unfair, I'd love to hear from them and tell me why it's unfair. Yeah, I would too. And I'll bet if we're all telling the truth, we would find that that is indeed the case. And they don't find that unfair in the least. It's just the way that's what they got into it for. Right. And that's the way they choose to go about their business. Hey, it was a great financial investment. They're going to sell it for however many billions of dollars. Oh, they wonderful. I mean, these business geniuses these guys are. Built the city of Arlington for half a billion dollars or more to build their stadium. And then they're going to cash out at some point. And hey, that's so good for them. I'm really happy for them. Yeah. <laughs> and at the and same time, like, so... This was supposed to be the year where they're as profitable as they've ever been, except for if you have just a majestic postseason run right. because of the new building. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, along with every other team, they lost money. It yeah. you know, has nothing really to do with the win-loss record. They weren't putting fans in seats, and they couldn't. So to the extent that they were possibly planning to build this team this coming winter um, for next year, mm-hmm. based on the money that had come in, now with nothing coming in, We've already heard J.D. say, you know, we're, we're probably not going to be big players on the market this winter. Um, so we're probably looking at the same group coming back. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, some of these young players having had their acclimation, you hope at least some of them take that next step forward. Some won't. And some they won't even ask to. I mean, Sam Huff's not going to start in the big leagues. But, but a couple of those guys are going to start in the big leagues and have probably legitimate roles. Mm-hmm. Um, Leody Tavares. Leody Tavares. I would say Kyle Cody probably fits oh, that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe next year is better with the exact same group, but you're you're losing a couple key guys. Mike Miner's not back. Uh, they may trade Lance Lynn this winter. So, um, without the ability to go out and spend money, JD might be kind of hamstrung in terms of what he can do to improve the roster. Because as we might get into uh, in a bit, like. He's gotten very little to trade that can really bring back an impact right. return. Right. And the, and the guys that fit that description, at least a couple of them, you don't want to trade. Mm-hmm. 
because they're the guys you hopefully you know you want to build around going forward. So or or they have tanked their trade value. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah, they'd be selling low. Yeah. Even if they wanted to trade those guys. And so so now, who are you, those guys? A a seven home run September is not enough to uh, rehabilitate Rugneto Doors trade value. Yeah, and, and and was 2019 enough to sustain Joey Gallo's value? Right. Um, so that you know, I, I you're not going to. I just don't think they can trade Joey Gallo for what they would get because anybody making a trade for him right now would be betting on him. You know, putting this year and the bugaboo of this ballpark behind him and returning to the player he was a year ago. And that's the kind of bet you're not going to give up, you know, three elite prospects for. Right. And if you're the Rangers, you're not going to trade him for anything less than three elite prospects right, because right. you're also making that bet. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. if and if he doesn't if it doesn't pan out, then you trade him in three years or you let him walk in free agency and basically end up with the same return that you would trading him right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love Gallo. I'm a big Gallo fan. I'm very impressed with the way that when he's needed to make adjustments and when he's needed to be something more than what he appears to be, he's done the things that he needs to do to reach that end. He appears to be very coachable, appears to be a really good guy in the room. But I'm really worried that this ballpark is in his head. Yeah, I mean, he, he all but admitted that pretty early on, that, man, it plays awful, bi- awful big, and a couple of shots that I thought were going to go out didn't go out. And so, yeah, I mean, I now, as the season went on and you watched the opposing teams come in and go ahead and just hit home runs anyway, maybe, ideally, that will have cleared that from his head. I mean, like, okay, if if these guys can do it. If if Kyle Seager is coming in here and hitting home runs the way mm-hmm. that he always has, mm-hmm. all right, well, then maybe I just can hit home runs too. I was kind of hoping that, um, you know, the last couple of weeks, him seeing Sam Huff come in here. Yeah. And after, I don't know, an 0 for 8 or something to start things, he just got locked in. He was having fun hitting the baseball, and he was, you know, hitting out of bark both directions. And I thought, you know, maybe Joey can, like, sponge off that a little bit. It's like, hey, relax. We're no longer in a pennant race. Let's just go out and do what we're capable of doing. And, and you said, you know, like Mike, you said he's very coachable, and I agree with that. But this year it seemed he never got out of that um, that funk, if that's what we're going to call it. Yeah. And it got to the point where for the last month pitchers were throwing 92 over the heart of the plate intentionally yeah because he wasn't getting to it i noticed and like you know it's with Ruby, it's different you know you take advantage of his lack of plate discipline you make him chase because you know he will gallo they're just like they're grooving it and he's not able to do anything with like average and even below average velocity scares me a little bit in, yeah, term, in it, terms of his ability to adjust further it's a concern for sure all right now let's subtly segue into the dynamic duo of Ruby. And Elvis Andrews, mm-hmm. both very, very subpar. Both appear, appear to be in pretty stout decline, although I don't know if necessarily either is at that age. I know Ruggie's not you meant right. for like what you would consider a normal age of decline. Right, he's 26. Yeah, and Elvis is 32? Uh, 31, I think. I think he was born in 80. So he may be right at 30. If, yeah. he Whatever born, if he was born in 80, he'd be 40. Oh, I mean. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was born in December of 79. Was he That's born in 90? Was he born in 90? No, he may have been like 88. I'm looking it up anyway. right now. Well, anyway, he's early 30s, somewhere in there. 
Um, 32. You were right, Mike. Um, you know, that's that's the time for a lot of guys when they start to decline. But this has been a pretty sharp fall off the cliff for him yeah, at an it, early age. It felt to me like it all started when he caught that fastball on the elbow and went on the injured list for the first time. He'd never really missed any time before, and then here he is missing, what was it, six weeks, eight weeks. And when he came back, he said it was hard to swing the bat. It took him a little while to kind of get back into it, and I just think he never – because that was right after he'd hit 300 one year, hit 20 home runs the next year, and hit almost 300. It just hasn't been the same since then. Yeah. And, then, you know, truthfully, he wasn't the same before that. Like, those two years were kind of the outliers. Yeah. Before that, he was like a 700 OPS guy, maybe 730, you know, average player offensively. Spiked up, um, but then he came back down to earth. And to me, like, the more noticeable decline in his game this season was defensively. Yeah. The range wasn't the same. Um, never, you know, when he had a chance to really uncork a throw to get a guy, it didn't have the kind of velocity that it used to and maybe it was all because his body wasn't feeling right right but to me that was a little bit more eye-opening that maybe he's not a starting shortstop anymore and if he can be what he was defensively and be the guy that he always has been in the room and and get out in front of this rebuilding effort and lead the young guys then then yeah i'd say he's worth keeping around then i'd say he's still a, a an important part of the club then but as is, I mean, what happens with it? If if it's me, my ideal uh, 2021 lineup is that I go ahead and trade Rugnet Odor. Hope I can get somebody that believes, you know, that watched his September, that watched his hot streaks and thought I can make that guy consistent. Maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe you're doing them. Yeah, who's that going to be? I mean, we've seen this before, right. and if we've I mean, seen it, everybody else has too. I mean, they traded Nomar Mazzara last year for Steel Walker, right? They've they've shown that when it's time to go, it's time to go. So, Rugnet Odor, out the door, I would move Elvis Andrews to second base. And, hey, we're in a youth movement. We might lose 100 games. Let's see this Anderson Tejeda kid. Go for it, man. Like I'm good with you on Tejeda, but what do you do with Solak? Left field, probably. You think? Yeah. I wish I wish he had a better showing in left. Like he had, you know, three or four ESPN plays. Right. Like he, you know, he came up big in a few moments, but his routes, like generally, look like a guy learning to play outfield. Yeah. Yeah, and another year will help on that. I think. He, but he's never going to be a, an above average defender. So. And he doesn't throw. Like right. the throws are are noticeably. I mean, he's getting run on every opportunity. First yeah. to third, second to home. So it's possible that if. You know, I, I don't know that the Rangers find a taker for Elvis Andrews in his contract, but if he's hurt again next year, then fine. So elect to second base, Eli White in left field, sure. There you go. If we're going youth movement, I want to see what Eli can do over a full season. Yeah. So that, you know, he's hitting the minor leagues. He runs, um, does throw, even yeah. though he's now a first-time outfielder. Um, and I've heard people in the organization say he's right there with Leody. Yeah, defensively. Yeah. And yeah. Everybody's talking about, you know, Leody is the best outfielder we've had in a long time. That's probably true. But if, if, you know, if Eli truly is at least close to that or on that level, would love to have an outfielder, those two, and Gallo. Because Gallo defensively this year did make strides. For Gallo, Gallo yeah. should be a gold glover this year mm-hmm. in right field. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he will be. But as far as defensive runs saved, it's not. It's not a competition he's like third in the league at any position right he and isaiah isaiah kiner falafa i in my opinion and yes i'm probably biased because those are the guys i watched all year i think both of those guys deserve a gold glove this yeah. year yeah what about leody 
This is a guy that we've heard down there, there in the farms, and heard up down there in the farm system for years and years. Mm-hmm. He got his first shot at playing toward the end of this year. What did you guys see in him? Not overmatched. Confident. Um, yeah, I mean, I really liked what I saw. What kind of player do you think he's going to be? I, You know, it surprised mm-hmm. me a little bit that they threw him into the leadoff spot for good as soon as he got back here. Like, he was here opening day, played yeah. one inning, and went back. When he came back up, he was the leadoff hitter, I think, all but one day. And then that one day was when they let Chu lead off to end yeah. the season. Um, that says a lot about what they believed about his makeup, that we're putting some pressure on you right out of the gate. You're going to set the table. Um, and I think, like, even though if you just look at the slash numbers – they don't look great. I think his OPS is under under 700. And, you know, he had a, like a good start at the plate and kind of fizzled a little bit. Right. But if you watch the games and watch the at-bats, a lot of eight-pitch at-bats, like fouling pitches off, spoiling pitches, and, and, and working counts. And that's what a leadoff hitter is supposed to do, make the pitcher work a little bit. When he got on base, uh, he created havoc on the bases. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't think he got thrown out. I think he was like seven or seven for seven or eight for eight in stolen base attempts. Um, and we all saw, you know, in spurts, some of the balls he can track down and the arm, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're going to stop running on him. I mean, unless it's, you know, a, a clear situation. If it's if a third base coach has to make a quick decision and it's coming to Leody or Joey, the stop sign's going up. Mm-hmm. Center fielder that can throw is so valuable. So I think I'm encouraged that the pieces are there, and they've been there for years. But I didn't know – I didn't think it was going to go great to see him in his first – attempt in the big leagues because he really hasn't had a great minor league season mm-hmm. they've all been good and he's always been like three years young for the league he's been in so you can you know factor that in but he hasn't had that minor league season we say well just wait till he gets here like a joe adele or right. something like that right even a kyle lewis um i was pleasantly surprised at what he did yeah for the month and a half he was here let me ask you this this organization has had a lot of great white whales over the years and one of them has always been that left-hand hitting slash-and-dash leadoff hitter. Is that Leody? He's definitely better from the left side. Um, the fact that, you know, you, don't, you can turn him around is yeah. helpful. And, I, you know, I, he was – you know, as a minor leaguer, he was much better as a left-handed hitter. But he hit at least one, maybe two out right-handed in the big leagues this year. Um, so, I think, you know, that's less of a factor. But in terms of having somebody on the left side with a right-handed pitcher – he may be. And they clearly think that if it all comes together, he's a leadoff hitter, or else they wouldn't have force-fed him there. Yeah. I think for me, the last thing I need to see from him is on on breaking pitches. And that's always the thing when a guy comes to the big leagues, right? Especially if they skip a, a level, is you're seeing guys in high A and double A that are working on throwing a breaking pitch. And a lot of times it's not in the strike zone until you can just lay off it, right? You get to the big leagues, those guys can throw their breaking pitch for a strike. It's It's a different... You're getting the cream of the crop in the big leagues. And so for me, it, and it wasn't just Leota. You saw that with a lot of the young guys that really struggled with, with both breaking pitches and change of speed at the big leagues because pitchers are just doing it so much better than what they've seen before. But there was growth. You could see the growth. You could see them kind of struggling with it and kind of trying to make some progress. And it's, you know, we're in a short season, so how much progress is going to be made? But for me, with, with Tavares, when he figures out, if, if he figures out, I don't know that it's a win, but... It, but he's smart enough and works hard enough and is coachable enough. If it's in there, he's going to find it. Um, but when he learns to hit off speed and breaking pitches, 
with regularity, I think that's going to be the big difference. And potentially it's a huge benefit that he got these 100-plus at-bats mm-hmm. out of the way mm-hmm. in a season that was already lost. So he knows now what he needs to do, what adjustments he needs to make. It's not just coming from coaches. He's lived it. Yeah. Um, so he's got a winner. I'm sure he'll you know probably go back and play in the Dominican, uh, as he has last few winners. Um, and he'll come to camp knowing this is what i got to do to take the next step and make sure that I'm still part of the big league team. Yeah. All right, on the subject of this, what, if any, impact – do you think this abbreviated, aberrant, unlike any we've ever seen before season, had, has had, will have going forward on the collective psyche of some of these young players? Do you think this is something they'll just put behind them, get back into the groove of a normal season and just go from there? Or will there be any benefit or maybe even harm to this year rolling out the way it did? Are you talking about the young big leaguers or the guys that had no season at all um, on the farm? Well, uh, we could do both. We could talk about both. Let's talk about the big leaguers first. I, I mean, if you're wanting us to pull you out of the pit of despair, you, you well, tapped into the right topic. I think it's really good for these guys because they got a chance to come up and play. And make no mistake, I do. All right. That. <laughs> they got a chance to play against big league competition, but to do so in a setting that is less pressure-packed than usual. So you get a guy that's the highest he's played is high A, and there were five of those guys this year. The highest he's ever played is high A. All of a sudden, you are facing Mike Trout, right? And you that's already a pressure-filled situation. Now, imagine there's 40,000 fans in the, in the stands, right? That's just that added mm-hmm. extra bit. But take that away. You get a chance to really just, just focus on baseball. That's it. That's all you have to focus on. There's nobody screaming at you about how bad you suck or what your mom has done in the last 24 hours or, like, nothing. Like, there's nobody screaming at you. Maybe some guys on the bench are chirping, but for the most part, that at least is going to be professional. Maybe. Sounds like know. the backfields, James. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's it double A right there. <laughs> right. And so it, uh, it gives them the experience to go, okay. Like, Wes Benjamin, I think, is a great example. Wes Benjamin was not a super prospect, but he was – in fact, maybe even a little overlooked, looked great in alt camp, came up, and they kind of just put him on the shelf for a little while. He didn't, there was, I think, 12, 13 days in a row he didn't pitch. When he got his shot, he came in, and all of a sudden, here he is pitching against the Angels, and you're like, all right, okay, this kid can do this. And to have that, I, I asked Chris Woodward about this later, like, a lot of times when you when you hear the phrase, that was a, a, a learning moment, usually that means something went bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, he overran the base or he made a terrible, he shouldn't have thrown the ball or he shouldn't have done this, whatever. You go, oh, it's a learning moment. It was a rookie mistake, but we talked to him afterwards and he's not going to do that anymore. Is there but a difference between a learning moment and a teaching moment? <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I kind of think of those two as the same thing, yeah. right? But I ask him, like, is it sometimes that that learning moment is you learn, oh, I, I do belong here. I can do this. Yeah, absolutely. You get that yeah, experience. That's definitely a learning moment. And that whole the whole offseason, he's going to know that, hey, I struck out Mike Trout and in a pressure-filled situation. And I, you know, Albert, for uh, Demarcus Evans, Albert Pujols hit my very first pitch over the wall. Um, but he came, like, even Demarcus Evans, that home run happened. The next guy, Justin Upton, he hit in the head with a ball. And this is a kid that they have said, like, his emotions are going to be the thing that, Take, he, he's got to learn to control his emotions. Well, if your first big league outing, you come out and you give up a home run and then you hit a guy in the head, where are your emotions, right? And he came back from that, got the next three outs and escaped. And that was a big moment for him. That was probably both for the for better or worse. So you, to 
in summation, yeah, I think it's very good for these young kids to get big league experience to know, hey, I can do this, but hey, here's what I still have to improve on and spin that off season. Those are guys that are now spinning an off season going, here's where I failed. Here's where I succeeded. Here's I, I have a plan of attack on what I need to do this off season. Whereas if this had been a regular season, those guys are probably going like, maybe next year's the year I make my big league debut. I don't know. You know I've got all this unknown future ahead. So, so there, if there's one positive takeaway from this season, that's it. It's, it's getting these guys who would not maybe have otherwise had big league experience, giving them a chance to see what they've got and let them, let them go into the offseason with a little confidence. There was one moment in the season early where I allowed myself to get carried away a little bit and think, hey, maybe this thing's going to be all right after all. Mm-hmm. And that was when it looked like they were in the process of somehow cobbling together a pretty functional bullpen mm-hmm. with Rodriguez, Hernandez, and Montero. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about those guys and where they wound up. Now, I know Rodriguez, is he finished the season injured, right? Yeah. Okay. What did you see out of him? Is there something sustainable there? Yeah, he looked pretty nasty to me when he was in there. He was just hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's my thoughts exactly. I think all three of the guys you just mentioned are now fixtures, and none of them came into the year with the exception of Montero being like a seventh-inning guy. Yeah. The other two, you know, you signed Rodriguez out of Japan, um, and he'd had just like a journeyman career in the big leagues before that. He'd never really been effective till he got to Japan. So you thought, okay, well – They've had some success doing that, bringing pitchers back, Chris Martin, Tony Barnett. So I had confidence that Jolie had something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he started the year hurt, he ended the year hurt, but in between, I agree with Levi. I thought, this guy can get big outs, and you're not asking him to do it in the ninth inning. Um, That's Montero, and when LeClerc is healthy, hopefully next year, you know, you've got another guy that's eighth, ninth. So you can pick your spots with Jolie. And Jonathan Hernandez, I don't know. I mean, that guy is going to eventually either be a closer. I think I've heard he doesn't want to give starting another shot, which he was a starter completely until the middle of last year. Um, It's worked so well for him, the bullpen. I think the team and he both agree that that's his role. And eventually that guy is going to be getting ninth inning outs. Yeah, he he said, you know, come back and ask me in five years. But for right now, I I am happy in the bullpen. He's impressive, man. He's he can get anybody out when he's locating, which has been like you know eighty percent of the nights he's locating. You know who's sneaky like better this year than he was last year? I was so perplexed why Brett Martin was on the big league squad for the entire season last year because he just wasn't that great. He was he was fine, okay, but he it looked like he needed some more seasoning. He was. He was pretty good this year. I'm a Brett Martin fan, yeah. and, and I agree. He wasn't great last year, um, and sometimes you can never, you know, how how much can you really tell by looking at a guy? But his body language sort of suggested last year that he wasn't completely confident. Do mm-hmm. I belong? That sort of thing. Um, but he's got good stuff, and um, he, you know, when he's healthy, he's durable enough to go a full time in the lineup. You know, two two and a third, and if he needs to. And so I I think especially if you're asking him to be your fifth piece on the pen, mm-hmm. getting out from the sixth. Um, it's so different now that they have to get three. They have to face three batters or, or finish right. an inning. Yeah. Um, but you're not going to be asking him to be the one that gets the outs that save the game. Right. I would agree with that. Out of all the guys from last year that I was expecting the least out of, who showed the biggest upside for me, it was him mm-hmm. for sure. You yeah. know, he just 
he came in, and I, I don't know if he's added a new pitch or it's just um, I, some things went right. He started to believe and buy in a little bit. But that was uh, that, that was one of the revelations of the year for me. And Hernandez mm-hmm. was another, although I was not terribly surprised by that. I mean, from what I'd seen previously in the minors and what everybody had written and said about him, that it was just a given that he was going to be able to get these guys out. But, man, very impressive. I had a coach text me during the summer camp or whatever they called it leading up to opening day and just said, holy shit, I just saw the best sim inning of anybody I've ever seen. Guess who? I, you know, I don't. I probably got to my third or fourth guess for. I said Hernandez. Bingo! Like yep. he was like you know ninety eight and blowing hitters away and breaking bats and like chase pitches were like deceptive enough that you know at that point when I heard that I was right there with you. Like, yeah, this is going to be a good year for that kid. Yeah. All right. So do you guys want to know who my biggest surprise was in the bullpen this year? See if you can guess. trying to think who we haven't covered yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's somebody else out there. There's somebody that, else out there that was a big surprise to me. Taylor Hearn. No, I was actually not surprised at Hearn. Oh, man. But I, he looked much better this year. I, I thought really... it was such a pleasant surprise that he looked like he thinks now that he belongs. Yeah. Because that was always, that was not always there. You know, it wasn't there the whole year this year either. Those right. first couple outings were shaky. But the last week, like you could tell he wanted the ball. Yeah. Looks so different. So yeah, no, I was not surprised by okay. Taylor Hearn, but so, he is another guy who next year, like the Rangers, don't need to really add any more bullpen pieces this offseason. Yeah, if, yeah. if yeah, you're not trying arms. to win a World Series, yeah. I mean, if if you go into every spring training as teams tell us they do that, and the old adage is everybody's got a closer, some just don't know who it is. Well, mm-hmm. you know, most teams have bullpens too. They may not know who is going where and what everybody's going to do, but. A lot of teams will go into a season with arms out there in the bullpen, and the Rangers appear in great shape for that to be that the case next year. Is yep. it well, J- the, Jimmy Hergett? That's the guy, uh-huh. Jimmy Hergett, um, who I just thought was one of those minor league invite type guys that was, you know, the Zach McAllisters of the world that you just don't talk to in spring. Okay. T.R. Sullivan talks to them in spring training. I should talk to them in spring training, but sometimes you just get a vibe with a guy like this is. I got. I, I have other more important stories to do right now, and so this guy is probably not going to make the team. And if he does make the team, he'll be here for two weeks and then out the door, like the the Luis Garcia, Jabot. Yeah, I mean Ian Jabot was actually pretty good in camp and good in the early part of the season, and then teams figured him out. Man, I thought that that was going to be a real player for him yeah, there when he first came up. Yeah. But but Jimmy Herget was like he just he he looks like. Uh, let me let me think of like he looks like he should be behind the counter of a deli in a in a like the one trendy deli in a town with a population of about three hundred people. Like he's got like he wears glasses. A You're town like, oh, okay. three hundred people has a trendy deli. I grew, <laughs> I grew up in Rio Vista, Texas, and we had this like burger place that started and like oh, and then in the mall in Cleburne there was this one they wanted to be like a French deli in Cleburne, which I know Cleburne has more than three hundred people, but this was the late nineties, and there was this guy who he wasn't from around there, and he was like I'm gonna revolutionize this little town, and he wore his glasses and sat behind the the counter. You're like oh, this guy doesn't belong here, and probably doesn't want to be here long term, and you know he was. Beloved by some, and then six months later, the place went out of business. Anyway, I got really esoteric there to say Jimmy Hergut does not look like 
a nasty relief pitcher. He just sort of looks like he's going to go out there and maybe insult the batter or, you know, try to trick him into walking away from the plate. And no, he was good. Like, he was really good. He he competed well, threw the ball harder than I think. He was night, sat 94 sometimes. Um, all right. He kind of reminded me he's a younger version, so it's not completely the same thing, but Bibbins Dirks. A little like bit. Like a guy that could change his slot mm-hmm. and sort of keep you off balance by doing that. And it, on the nights where he's, like, locating, he's got four pitches to do it with. So mm-hmm. he's keeping hitters just off balance without great stuff. But, yeah, but he's got a long way to go to catch ABD. Yeah, Who will no, never I'm, forget that night when he went toe-to-toe with Max Scherzer. Well, right? I, know, I know you'll remember this, Mike, but in the 90s, late 90s, there was a kid they brought in named Brian Sikorsky. Oh, yeah. through like a complete game two hit yes. shutout against yes. the Yankees. And it was like his only win in the big leagues. And like that's what – when Bibbins Dirks did that against Scherzer, and, you, and Levi, you wrote a, wrote a great story about that. When he did that, I thought, oh, hopefully this is not his Sikorsky moment. Right. <laughs> Where three weeks from now, after giving, you know getting knocked out in the second inning, he's back in AAA for good. Yeah. All right, everybody watch that, Dirks. You're watching for the guy who's Sikorsky's. That's yeah. right, right. I think from a personality standpoint, too, and I, again, I don't – really know Jimmy Herger that well. It's just from watching him on the mound and talking to the manager. But like Austin Pippen's Zerks was genuinely the nicest guy in baseball. Like just it, when I rewatched it, I, so I, I rewatched that Scherzer game with him on telephone and sort of wrote a story about what he had been thinking through it. And even rewatching that, you got Scherzer out on the mound, just I'm going to murder you. I'm going to throw a fastball and then I'm going to eat your soul. And then Bibbins Zerks was like, <laughs> Here's a curveball. <laughs> I got him. Like, and that's that was just him. Like, he is just that guy. I kind of get the sense that Herget is a bit more, um, re- not, almost like being good out of rebellion. Like, oh yeah, you don't expect this out of me. All right, take this. How about that? You like that one? All right. Here, here's here's what's coming next. And here's like this guy, this skinny guy with glasses is who who gave you that confidence? Where did that come from? And he's like, try me again. Let's go again. Like he he seems to have a little bit more bulldog in him. Than Bibbins. And it's not to say that Bibbins Dirks wasn't a competitor. He competed, but he just was the same guy on and off the field, just nice and like did it because it was fun. And I feel like Herget feels like he's got something to prove. Like it's good. Gonna, it's good. Yeah. So I, I he's he was my surprise this year, and I think he'll be in the bullpen next year. And really, how many have we named? Six. And you're and, and if we count Leclerc coming back, and I feel like there's somebody else that was injured for most of the year that I'm just you know a veteran that I'm not remembering now but Edinson Volquez he probably yeah won't be back. not him um but anyway I mean Alex Spies Alex man Alex Spies. I was Alex surprised Spies. that Spies didn't get the Demarcus Evans look at the end for just a couple weeks um Evans, it, Evans is the other guy we really haven't talked a whole lot about as yeah. far as next year but. well but I mean Evans and Spies both have like closer potential mm-hmm. not yet but you know eventually I mean Spies hit 102 pretty regularly mm-hmm. this summer um and he's got a wipeout breaking ball that neftali didn't have like he's there's he's got the two pitch mix to to be a ninth inning guy eventually and mm-hmm. i thought he'd get that debut in but maybe he wasn't having a great camp on the alternate side or maybe they just decided you know we don't really have a spot for him right now we don't want him just to come up here and sit. okay so we've rummaged through a complete bullpens worth of guys right here mm-hmm. and we've only glossed over taylor hearn Yep. The aforementioned Taylor Hearn. Whither goest he in all this? I think he wants to start again. And I think there's honestly, so this makes for a great transition into the rotation talk. I, I think next year you're going to see, I, I still think the Rangers trade um, Lance Lynn. That's just my gut feeling. But if they don't, 
Lynn, Gibson, and Lyles, because they're not going to get anything for Gibson or Lyles right now. And then those final two slots, I think they might run with a couple of like guys who can do four or five innings and piggyback them. So you're looking at Kyle Cody, maybe Joe Palumbo coming back, and I think Taylor Hearn is in that mix. Colby yeah, Allard, Allard also. Because yeah. Allard would sometimes do this where he'd go out and be great for three innings and then that's it. And in this game, like the, the way you're seeing the game change, it feels like there's got to be some team, it'll probably be the Rays, that will capitalize on, hey, this guy is really good for three innings. They thought that's what Wei Jie Wang was going to Wang was going to be. Mm. He was they were he was like throwing three innings every third day. He just didn't quite have the the stuff to make it in the big leagues. But you might run into a situation where hey here here comes Kyle Cody for the first three, and then Taylor Hearn for the next three, and that's our starting pitcher today. Mm. Um, and I'd be I'll be really interested to see how they handle those last two spots in the rotation. That would be a very raised thing. It would. Yeah. That's I think the way it, they roll. Hearn, to me, is kind of the anti-Hergit, the way you described him. Mm-hmm. He looks imposing, looks like he wants to eat your soul. But like we talked about 10 minutes ago, he's not always had the confidence to back, you know, to pull all that together mm-hmm. until we saw it in the last, like, three or four times he pitched this season. And if I mean, he's definitely built for innings. Like, he's got the size that if he's commanding the ball, you can you can expect him to have a starter's workload. I'd love to see him put on about another 20 pounds of muscle, but mm-hmm. – that may just not be what his frame allows for. But I know, I know you've talked to him a good bit. I have too, and I, that's just a guy that I root for. Oh I, yeah, I'm just like oh I, yeah. I want it to come together for him. Um, I mean, he bounced around. He's been on th- in three organizations. He's been traded twice. Like it hasn't always been. You know, his path keeps getting sort of like redefined. And I want this to work for him right here. Yep. And turn into the starting pitcher he was developed as in his backyard. And to you know to make it happen, and the stuff is there, but it's yeah. it's partly makeup, and you know get the confidence, and and uh, and you know the team's got to trust him too. Yep, Hearn is that way. Jose Trevino is another guy you pull for, and Isaiah Kiner Falefa too, who had a good year, kind of quietly because he was playing on the Rangers, who nobody paid attention to unless they had to. But he was, I think, he's your third baseman unless he's a shortstop next year. See that? For me, not, you don't have the third baseman yet. And Josh Young apparently had an incredible camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't – he's not going to be the opening day third baseman, but maybe he's there at some point during the season next year, and you slide Kiner over. Because to me, I love Tejeda. I love what he mm-hmm. – the possibilities there. But I think Kiner right now could step in at shortstop and play a, a gold glove level defense okay. there. And obviously that's invaluable for a good team to have a very good shortstop defensively. How surprised were you guys by, if you were surprised at all, by what he did this year? Um, in the I mean, it sounds like he was very close to this team's MVP. Yeah. Yeah. In, I was a little surprised this spring, but I, I talked to him, gosh, January at one of the winter camp things and just asked, like, how are you doing, man? Because he had some health issues the year before, spent some time on the IL, and then that experiment with him playing catcher and just like, you know, general catch up. And he's like, man, I feel great. I spent the entire off season getting my infielder's body back. I got my legs underneath me again. That was, you know, playing catcher just wiped out my legs. And so I was like, all right, keep an eye on this guy in spring. And I was surprised in spring. Like he did everything he said he was going to do. So by the time the regular season rolled around, I was not surprised. Your story on that was like super enlightening getting into his, his mindset because I was concerned that that catcher experiment was going to end up being the same as Profar to center field or um, Feliz to the rotation 
that are just, okay, we just derailed this guy's career. We were mm-hmm. trying something and it didn't work and he's never going to be what he was going to be otherwise. Right. But clearly he's not only gotten back to what he was, but he's taken the next step. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I, I think I built up a case against the guy before the season even started. I mean, I, I was pretty convinced that he was never going to turn into anything just because I had never seen a, a neither fish nor a foul type that plays shortstop and catcher. Mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't square all that up. I thought, there can't be a place in this game for somebody like that. Right. It was ambitious for the organization. Oh, you know, extremely. They tried it with him and another kid named Josh Morgan, who coming up was supposed to be the better hitter than Kiner. Um, Morgan's still catching in double A. He's probably not going to. You know, he probably won't be in, in American baseball much longer because it just hasn't happened for him. But mm-hmm. um, they were dead set on let's let's take some infielders that have good hit tools. They're not big power guys. So we're not worried about sapping that good hit tools. And let's see if we can put some lower lower body weight on them and let's see if they can catch. And those were the two guys they tried it with. And really, to Kiner's credit, for him to really learn the position at the big league level, he was not terrible. Um, but it clearly affected his offense. Yeah. Uh, do you think, and obviously different body types, but do you think that transitioning Jose Trevino from, and, and Robinson Chirinos for that matter, from third base to catcher, do you think that sort of gave them some hubris and went, well, we can turn anybody to catcher? Maybe. Um, but their situations were a little different just because it happened with Chirinos in the minor leagues. Trevino really made the transition in college. Um he was a third baseman, even a little shortstop at Oral Roberts. And then his junior year, they made him a catcher. Um, I do think that his first year in the in the Rangers system, they gave him a little infield work, you know, just to see what they had there. Mm. That if maybe he was a utility guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, he looks like a kid that has played catcher his entire life. He yeah. is the prototype. And, you know, as long as we're talking about, like, surprises this year. Jose Trevino on the position player side yeah. is a bigger surprise for me than Kiner or even Leoti, like Trevino belongs. You can tell his pitchers trust him, which mm-hmm. is a huge thing for a rookie catcher with a veteran rotation. Um, that was the thing that stuck out to me, yeah, too. and he was getting into baseballs at the plate, which he really never did in the minor leagues. And he just looks like this guy, he may not be an all-star, but he he's going to be in the league a long time. Yeah, he's going to be at least a solid guy Yeah, for somebody. The situation with Woody, let's just talk about Woody. How did Woody hold up in all this? I think it was a tough year for him. Uh, I and I this is that was kind of my impression. This is me projecting maybe a little bit, but it, it seemed to me like he has. I mean, it's no surprise he's he's an optimistic guy, right? Like that's been his sure. thing from day one. You listen to him talk, and he's excited. He has all the hope in the world. He'll he's prone to hyperbole when he's talking about his players. That Joey Gallo is the best player in baseball, and this this you know. This you talk to him about a, a player that's on a hot streak. Hey, honestly, he might be the best hitter on our team, and he loves the word elite. Like he loves to use the word elite about his players, even when they're not elite. Um, but I think, I think they needed that somebody with that level of optimism to guide them through a tough year. But I think for him, and I don't know that we will ever get the full scope of the conversations that went in, in the club went on in the clubhouse leading up to opening day. When there was the talk of, you know, what are we going to do for this, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing. And some players were okay with kneeling. Other players were not. Some players were, you know, obviously nobody was saying that yay racism. But as as is the country, like a, a broad swath of mm-hmm. 
you know, some people. Just a real mixed bag. Yeah. And, and trying to navigate those conversations between players. And you've got, at that point, Taylor Hearn was not on the big league roster, but he's around. Um, Willie Calhoun is just kind of, he's beginning to come into his own a little bit as an adult and learning what his role is as a black man in America. And he's getting, I think, talks from both sides about, oh, you're, you know, this is your, your, making too big a deal out of it or you need to be a better representative and you know be part of the be yeah, part of the movement. stand up more yeah and so I, as he's wrestling with this then he's also being asked to be kind of a spokesperson for his team and and you know woody trying to to navigate all that and there's only so much that we're going to see you know even just in the articles that i wrote like i, I wrote what i knew but but I, I think there's a lot of it that won't ever come out. But what we did hear on a number of occasions is, man, tough, tough conversations. Just really t- to the point that I think that that began to overshadow baseball for a while. And then meanwhile. Tough conversations between players. Between players. Yeah, yeah. Player to player, coach to player, but not coach authority position to player learning position, but like person to person. Yeah. So Tony Beasley's in the mix there and it's, you know, Woodward having these conversations with players too. And, and, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that was, I think that was very, very difficult. Um, and, and probably a bigger factor than, than it would seem from the outside looking in. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you're playing this game where your players are not allowed to leave the hotel and you've got these young guys. And a lot of times that's where the camaraderie comes to a team is not when they're at home because when they're at home they've got their families they're going to or they mm-hmm. got their own place but when you're on the road that's when you go out to dinner with your teammates and that's when you build these relationships and so you're trying to build a team a team that by the way is losing and build that camaraderie but by the way don't leave your hotel room so maybe FaceTime with each other like it was just a tough tough year and he was not alone in that every big league team dealt with that but um, but yeah I mean I think and, and by the end of it we asked him like you can just go home and like cry for a couple of weeks. That seems like the appropriate response. He's like, no, yeah, I'm going to hit the ground running. We got a lot to learn before next year. And he hasn't changed. He's still the same optimistic guy who's like, let's hit the ground running. But I, you could just tell that it, it was hard. It was a hard year for him. And he was not alone in that, but it was, it was difficult. And he came from a winning situation in Los Angeles. That's what he's used yeah. to. Yeah. And so he gets here and last year was last year. They bring in Kluber in the winter, and now he's thinking, okay, new ballpark. This is before COVID hits, mm-hmm. and you're just going in the winter. New ballpark, going to fill that place. It's going to be loud, energetic. Now we have two guys that got Cy Young votes, plus Corey Kluber in the rotation. His optimism, which you just talked about, mm-hmm. probably led him to think, ma'am, we're going to surprise some people. You guys continue to count us out. That's great. Yeah, you full, just full season of last year's Joey Gallo, MVP candidate. Right, right. And, yeah. and, Rugnet Odor seemed to figure it out at September last year. So did so did Ronald Guzman. Yeah, Evergreen. Elvis Andrews is healthy. We brought in Todd Frazier. He's a leader. Yeah. The, like, yeah. Uh, Isaiah Kainer-Falef is coming into camp. He's looking great. Hey, these uh, ideas were good, man. Yeah. yeah. Danny the, Santana, last year's player of the year. Shinsu Chu got on base at about a 400 clip in the leadoff role last year. You know, we might make a run at this thing this year. Yeah. And so when, you know, when they start losing, I'm sure – you add add that on to everything you just talked about, you know, yeah. the, the off-the-field stuff coming into the year. It just had to be very tough on him just because he's used to winning. Yeah. How about the Condor? Uh, it looked better in September. We'll see. Yeah. The defense clearly is is elite, to yeah. use a Chris Woodward word. Um, 
the hitting like we would see in spurts the last couple of years, and it didn't spurt that much this time. It was actually pretty solidly Consistent, good. Yeah, like he was putting the ball out of the park and he was hitting it hard. He still swings at the first pitch too often, and there's some things that he can adjust. Um, I thought he looked better than I'd ever seen him though. He he looked like you know he may hit seventh or eighth, but he looked like he could be a starting first baseman at least while you're trying to rebuild and figure out what you are. I don't think you'd embarrass yourself by putting him out there. Yeah. He's another one of those guys you pull for, too. I'd put him in that boat for sure. Men, cannot thank you enough for this today. Well, because these aren't – talk about tough conversations. These are tough conversations because I love the Rangers. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Well, thank you. We appreciate did, it. Did we, we accomplish the goal? Did we pull you out of the, out of the void? I don't know. You lifted me. All right. <laughs> you lifted me. I now – you're about to leave here, and I may just fall right back down into it. But for a moment, you lifted me out, and I appreciate it. Oh, we'll be back, buddy, if you need us. Just okay. let us know. All right, little buddy. <laughs> All right, there you go. That is Square One, Jamie Newberg, Levi Weaver, our producer, Kent Garrison. Thank you all, and thank you for listening.